Hello and welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. Today's episode of the podcast is a very, very special one with an expert in high performance, world-renowned high performance coach, Dr. Fergus Connolly. Dr. Connolly has over 20 years of experience working with high performers in both sport and the military. He is now more focused on work in a corporate setting and is based out in the United States. But he comes from humble beginnings in Monaghan in Ireland, and we had a great conversation around Monaghan versus Dublin in the football a couple of weeks ago, with Dublin being relegated. He has a very interesting perspective there, given that he has experienced working with Jim Gavin in the Dublin GAA setup in the past. He also has experience working in soccer with Liverpool and Bolton Wanderers, in American football with the San Francisco 49ers and the University of Michigan, and in rugby with the Welsh national team and Munster. This was a really, really deep chat about all things human performance. We touched on what high performance means to Dr. Connolly, how he views it, how he helps individuals to find purpose within their work, and identify personal and team values leading to player ownership. We also moved on to talking about creativity within sport. We talked about a lot of the soft skills of sports science. We talked about his book catalogue, which encompasses Game Changer, The Process, 59 Lessons and The Happiness Handbook. And then we had a really, really good chat about all of the valuable lessons that he has learned throughout his career in relation to high performance and in relation to people as well. So I hope you really, really enjoy this episode, guys. As always, if you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it and send it. Season two of the PD Performance Podcast is kindly sponsored by Output Sports. Output Sports make athlete testing and monitoring simple, portable and efficient. Their single sensor tool enables the measurement of over 160 exercises spanning agility, speed, power, mobility, reactive strength and much more. The tech is utilized by the FA, Leinster Rugby, Limerick Curling and your very own PD Performance to name but a few but also gyms, clinics and schools around the UK and Ireland and they're now branching out into the States as well. As a listener of this podcast, you can get 5% off with the code PT5, P-E-T-E-Y 5. So get onto Output Sports as soon as you possibly can, because I am achieving great things with my sensor that I've been using so far this season. I've had great buy-in with my athletes and I've been using it myself too. And I gotta say, it's a lot of fun. So contact Output Sports with code PT5 to avail of your discount. This podcast is also sponsored by Coach Sam Portland's Mentorship Programme. Sam's Mentorship Programme helps strength and conditioning coaches to navigate the minefield that is the SNC industry at the moment. Sam is big on education and you'll certainly learn a lot about speed, change of direction and general SNC over the course of the programme, but there's also a big emphasis placed on personal development as well something that's definitely missed in the traditional education system, especially in SNC. You'll learn about business, self-care, and much, much more. And look, the proof is in the pudding. 
I entered the program over a year ago as a burnt out coach that was sick of the industry and struggling with confidence. And now I have a podcast and my own private training business. So I'd highly recommend getting in touch with Sam. And if you are interested, simply contact him over on Instagram or Facebook using the code PERFORMANCE to avail of a discount. You can find him at Coach Sportland if you're looking for him on Instagram or Facebook. And if you want him via email, it's sam at coachsportland.co.uk. Remember, code performance and you'll get a nice little discount. Now, onto the podcast. Dr. Fergus Connolly, welcome to the PD Performance Podcast, first and foremost. Secondly, the big question that we all want answered is... Were you watching the match yesterday and were you wishing for that ball to go over the bar or for it to go wide in the, between Monaghan and Dublin? Because you're one of the <laughs> few people that have a hand in both camps, I suppose. Actually, I did. I, my mother texted me the uh, the results afterwards. I, I honestly hadn't been been following it. I've got uh, I've got a call later, though, with, with uh, somebody from uh, from Dublin actually so it'll be interesting to hear what uh what their thoughts are on it but by all accounts it was a close close game a great game great game but I it's a very strange one for you very much mixed feelings given that you were there to start the legacy that Dublin football has started and now they may have got relegated from the league but both of us know that championship is the real deal and that's when it's important and so Maybe they'll have a good championship campaign. We don't know, but at the same time, your heart is Monaghan, I'm sure. So it's great to see Monaghan. Yeah, like, yeah, it's it's funny. Um, way way back, yeah, you know, way back when when I was when I was playing, the league and championship were so different. And uh, you know, even back then, you know, remembering back to great Kerry teams, they they never turned up in the league at all, and it was just about championship. But you know, today there's not much of an off season anymore. So, you know, Gaelic football's all year round. So you can get a you can get a good idea how teams are going to perform. But you're right, it, all that matters is championship. All if you're playing in September, it's a good year. So uh yeah, I don't think I don't think Monaghan can be can get carried away and uh Dublin, you know, can't get too disappointed. I'd be uh I'd always, you know, uh certainly in Leinster anyway taking Dublin for granted would be uh, would be dangerous. It's a very interesting one as well, isn't it? Because we're talking here about the end goal being the end goal and keeping the main thing the main thing, with championship being mm-hmm. the ultimate. But at the same time, weekly results do matter to coaches. And they will say yep. that we are focused towards championship. That's our bread and butter. But at the same time, if you're losing in the league... Fans aren't going to be happy. Coaching staff aren't going to be happy, and the players aren't going to be happy because nobody likes losing. No, and it, it's uh, yeah, and you make some really good points. Like, um, to be honest, the the fans, as a coach or a coaching staff, fans are the last one you should really concern yourself with. Not out of disrespect, but you know, you're the only one that that really knows what's going on in in the camp and how the team are progressing. Um, that but it does matter it does have an influence but as a coach you kind of have to block that out if you have confidence in what you're doing but you know the there are a few things that are really important today in the league and that is the practice habits and training habits and playing habits that you're developing um those will matter because you know come later in the summer 
you know, your players, your staff, even how they operate together, all of that's going to count. Like, I mean, if you're not doing it right in the league, you're not going to turn it on just come championship. And then the other thing that's that's really important that I think some coaches sometimes take for granted is winning. Winning is a habit and the routine of winning, knowing how to win. Um, and there are parallels between Dublin and, and the English rugby team at the minute. You know, I think, you know, you, it'll be interesting come the, the Rugby World Cup can, you know, it's difficult to turn that, to turn losing around, you know, whereas if you have a habit and a routine of losing, that matters in the last 10, 15 minutes of a game because you have the confidence to know that you've you've pulled out of games late and uh, and walked away with it or you've withstood. So there, there are a lot of factors that, that really matter. The most important one, though, is, uh, is practice, is training. How is that going? And really, only the coaches and players know how well that's, that's going. Is it's that a, a really, diplomatic enough answer? That's a great answer. Really <laughs> diplomatic. Future no, in, in politics. No, no, it, is, it, it is the truth. And I, I don't have any insight into either team. You know what I mean? So I, I, yeah. I don't know what, what's happening. But yeah, like um, coaches, media and coaches uh, or, or media and fans, you know, can influence mood. But really exactly. that, you know, you, you have to take that. Looking at it critically from the outside, you, you got to take that with a pinch of salt, you know. And that's the thing, like it is an outside influence, but it is an influence nonetheless. And the paradox for us as practitioners is we're trying to zone that out and we're trying to say, let's focus on the process and focus on what we're doing in the day to day, whilst, as you said, still trying to get the results at the end of the week. Um, so it's quite interesting, I suppose, to look at it that way. And I, I'm on the same page as you in regards to the English rugby team as well. I love what Eddie Jones is doing. I think he's doing really great, innovative things. And they're just coming out the wrong side of results, unfortunately. But to go back to what we we're just talking about, Eddie Jones is focused towards the World Cup. Now, it is going to be hard probably to pull out of losing habits, as you said, um, and get that confidence back. But he's probably not too worried. And it's interesting how the tide can turn in terms of both the media and the fans, as you just said, so quickly, because he was doing a great job six months ago. And then all of a sudden it all changes. But that's our job yeah. as well with the athletes is to help them to block out that noise. Yeah, the other thing that... Um you know, and I get this question quite a lot, you know, the, the game is the most important thing and you, you want to preserve that. So, um, you know, league games are very valuable in GA because it is, that's the test. So everything you do every, every week is leading up to each game. You don't, you know, train through games or, you know, you might've been able to do that, you know, 10, 15 years ago. You can't do that anymore um, because, there are so many elements in an actual game that you cannot and will never replicate in practice. Like, you mean, even just the preparation, getting to the grounds, uh, the game plan, players playing with each other. And the, the experience, you know, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, intuitively in a game is so completely different from practice. So those games are valuable. Like, they're incredibly valuable. And if you start to take them for granted, um, it's a dangerous it's a dangerous path to to walk. Um, but you know it's uh, what we're, we're just coming into April now. But you know September will come fast. You know June July will come fast. Forget about September. You got to make it to September. 
Exactly, exactly. Now, we've jumped straight into the meat and the bones of it, and we've probably alienated a number of listeners already. But my first question was originally going to be, how is your morning going so far and what is on the agenda for today? Uh, just gone nine o'clock, uh, worked out, got home, uh, a few emails, and uh, this, is the, this is the first call of the day. So, um, And then I've got two or three calls later, consulting calls, and then I'll get a short break, I think around 1.30. So that's what my morning's going to, going to look like. Well, I apologize for asking really tough questions to start your morning. No, that you no. Didn't even we, get we, you. I'm a, I'm you might pull a muscle. Up. You're not straight. You, you haven't done a, an effective warm up, unfortunately. No, no. I was up at four this morning, working out at five. So no, nine o'clock is good to go. You're well into it. Brilliant. Um, so for those that don't know you, I'm sure there won't be many that tune into the podcast. But my first question for you is, how do you define high performance? And then how do you explain what it is that you exactly do? Oh, good question. Um, look, for me, particularly in sport, it's, it's always been around winning games. Like, how do you, how do you win games? And I think, um, I think in sport, particularly when, you know, when I started, even still today, I think a lot of coaches have maybe lost focus on, on, you know, how you actually win games. You know, when you look back in history it, and you look back even just a few years ago, like you mentioned Dublin, Jim Gavin, people like that, it's about, it is about winning, but sometimes we get distracted about, you know, whether it's, you know, how fast someone runs, how far they run, effort tackles, all of that. At the end of the day, it's, it's how do you win games? And, to, and the industry, if you will, or the job has evolved quite a bit from, just being a fitness coach or just being a strength coach now to managing all of the different elements that go into that. And, and we've learned an awful lot over the last number of years around what it takes to, to win games, whether that's data analysis, psychology, nutrition, lifestyle, but high performance today is really about making sure that they all work together well so that you win a game, not that you maximize any one particular area. And so that's really what, what high performance is. And the other side of it, though, is um, uh, Eric Kress, you reminded me of this some time ago. I, I used to say 80% of your job is knowing what not to do. Because it's very easy to get, you know, to follow the shiniest piece of paper or the, the newest fad. So much of your job is knowing, you know what, that's great, but it's not going to work in this situation. Or it'll only work with these two players, so we should tone it back or... You know, so that's what a lot of your job is is about is, you know, like you said earlier, keeping the main thing the main thing. There's great power in knowing what not to do. And mm-hmm. my question to you then would be, what were the key events in your career that led you to come to this conclusion of kind of a holistic, <laughs> ah, a holistic yes. approach to performance? Because when we all enter the industry first, we're all worried about, as you said, how fast can they run 30 meters? How fast can they run 40 meters, et cetera? How, how much can they do in a bench press? How much is their max squat? How high can they jump? But in reality, that's probably not the most important thing. The, the, the simple answer is, uh, is mistakes. Like, I mean, I made so many mistakes. I made so many mistakes when, you know, I wasn't a great footballer, but when I was playing, um, 
you know, you're trying to be the best. So you, you try everything. Like, I mean, I did everything from running for hours on bragging mountains to uh, sprinting up hills with, I used to have an old rucksack with a concrete block in my back. Or, and so one year you're very fit, next year you're very fast, but you're in between or you're not strong enough. Then some years you're too strong, you're too heavy. Um, so that's, but that's when it started with a lot of mistakes and still making mistakes, um, you know, overestimating, trying things, you know, uh, Louis Simmons passed away um, last week. Like, I mean, I remember learning how to box squat and getting, you know, almost too strong, things like that. And so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of mistakes, but on the other hand, a lot of it comes down to being brutally cold and clinical about you know what does it take to win and not because we can we become very attached to certain things like you mean uh so we manage to get somebody strong well then that's the only thing or or they we develop their fitness they can run all day and we beca- we don't want to change we but at the end of the day you've got to be brutally cold about okay that's great but we're not winning so what what do we want to address and sometimes the closer you get to winning, the, the harder it is to be really cold and brutal and step away and go, you know what, this is an area or whatever that area is, we really need to focus on that. And and sometimes, you know, people are telling us we should do it and we're so um, cocky, arrogant or whatever. It's it's hard to go, you know what, they're right, but I don't, I don't want to, I'm stubborn. So yeah, um, for me, it was a lot of mistakes. Uh, making mistakes uh, and, and trying to learn from them and learn from them as quick as possible. You know, that's, that's the most important thing. Um, actually this morning before we spoke, talking with a good friend, a retired um, pilot, actually. Uh, yeah. Military pilot, but we were just talking about the importance of failure and how important it is not just to fail, and not just to set up scenarios for players to fail, but to teach them how to overcome it so that they can they can learn from that, but learn quicker and close that loop quicker and quicker and quicker. And sometimes, particularly as players get older, we move away from being critical and we're scared to, to put them in that scenario. So, yeah, failure is a good thing if you can learn from it. It's like you just jumped into my head there and took out what my next question was going to be because <laughs> you, like... You've said there that you've made loads of mistakes, but everybody has made tons and tons of mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, but the difference is learning from the mistakes. And it takes a special kind of person to be able to learn from all of their mistakes they've made. So what my question to you would be is, have you always been somebody that's been more focused on identifying the solutions than finding the problems? No, no, I've really been more focused on, on trying to find what the correctly identifying the problem. Um, because I think, I think there's so many solutions out there, you know, you can pick and choose. And for me, it was really about, uh, and from, I, you know, for a long time, really being brutally honest about, okay, what is the problem? Like, I mean, what really is the problem here? Because, you know, you, it's like, you know, when you open up that toolbox, if all you have is a hammer, everything's going to be a nail. Without recognizing, actually, it's a screw that needs to go here. And, but you've got this brilliant hammer, you want to use it. Now I got to go in and find a screwdriver and I got to go and figure out how to do this. Um, 
and in a, a lot of teams, a lot of organizations, even with a lot of people you're working with, sometimes you're scared to really sit down and go, you know, no, I'm solving, I'm not solving the problem. I'm solving something, but it's not the real problem here. Um, and I think as well, I think it becomes more difficult as you get older to, to recognize, you know what, I'm good in this area, but, and you keep putting off this other area that you know you're going to have to address, you're going to have to look at. Uh, I think when you're younger, it's, you know, you're, you struggle with lots of things, you make lots of mistakes, you're in that learning cycle. I think as we get older, sometimes we're afraid to fail. So um, being humbled and continuing to want to fail, continuing to look for those moments of failure and learning from, I think that's, I think that's really important. Um, it's, it, it, you know, humility is a factor. Um, but I think that the best coaches have uh, a, a, a type of humility about them. Now, you might not see it all the time, but the best coaches are always looking to, to improve. Like, what am I doing wrong? What, what do you think? They take criticism. You know, that, that was one of the great things, you know, working with, you know, Jim Gavin, uh, Declan Darcy, McDegan, um, those guys, Shane O'Hanlon, um, within that room when the door was closed, it was like, it was brutal in a good way. Like, I mean, you were not afraid to, to say, you know what, I think this is really the issue and, um, and really try and get, find out really what that problem is. The, the, on the other hand today, you know, as a coach, you're, you're almost getting thrown too many solutions, whether it's technology or innovations or, you know, uh, years ago, it was probably more supplement based. You know, it was a supplement for freaking everything. Today, there's even more solutions, but that's that's not your problem. Your problem is identity. Spend more time figuring out what the problem is. Was it Lincoln or Washington said, you know, if I had seven hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend five sharpening my axe. And that's what the fibers are for, you know, figure out what the problem is first. Does it ever occur that you sometimes spend too much time questioning whether you are focusing on the right details because you're like that and you're constantly refining your process does that cause you stress then no um and that's another that's another really good question because when you're in front of a group of players um you know or, or somebody you're working with you very often the, the, the most important thing is that they have clarity and security in the direction they're going. So while you might be still refining something, you've got the general direction. So you're going to start to move in that way. So as far as they're concerned, you know exactly what you're doing. This is what we're going to do. Now, meanwhile, you know, later on that night, you're going to review tape. You're going to review film. You're going to constantly, have, have I got this right? And you might refine it. But, you know, in front of the players and, and when you're working, you have to, and you can't, um, particularly in stressful situations, in leadership positions, you have to make cold clinical fast decisions. So you get very, very good at summing up a problem quickly, identifying what you see at that, at that moment in time, the real problem is, and you have to think at least two steps ahead or uh, second order thinking. So you just can't jump to the first thing, which many coaches will do. They'll jump the first thing they see. You have to you have to go very quickly through a few decision loops. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, that's no, no, no. That's what it is. That's what we're going to do. Now later on, you'll review it. Did I get? Am I right? 
And so you get better and better at really identifying what, what the problem is. Um, but yeah, it, it shouldn't cause you concern. For me, it's like um, I describe, you know, coaching often as driving on a freeway or on a motorway. You've got two lanes, fast and slow. And you, you have to switch between both. Sometimes you've you got to make fast decisions. And other times you need to know when to move into the slow lane just to take your time refine and then move again you're never going to just stay in one lane it sounds like maybe in your early career you were very very quick to jump to the solution oh yeah and you didn't yeah. you didn't uh maybe take a step back and think about it and then actually grant yourself the time to deliver a clear message do you think you've got a handle on that now have you refined that over time oh i can i can always get better but i, I think you know, I learned early on, you know, working with different coaches, you would go to one coach, like a speed coach. Well, all your problems revolve around speed. So you fix that, but you're still not winning or you're not getting better. And then you realize, okay, then I need to go to an endurance coach or a strength coach, a nutritionist. And you go to, and they're all specialists. And then you slowly start to realize, hang on, it, it's really about identifying the right tool and then making it work for you or making it work for, for your players um and again that comes back to failure getting out of your comfort zone being really brutally honest um but at the same time you have to you have to do something like you can't sit and wait forever and plan things out you know what i mean um the other thing you learn as well very early on is you can put the world's best annual plan together and step out in the training field and it's raining or something or you know, and you got to react. So there's a lot of things that go into being, you know, being a good, being a good coach. I think over here we probably expect it's raining, unfortunately. <laughs> well, yeah, like you mean, or yeah, or you go out and suddenly the ground's hard, and you know, you, you, like you're standing there, the ground's rock hard. You go to yeah. your training field, ground's rock hard, or you go out in the training field, or you, you know, to do a warm up, and you realize. You know, something has happened the night before and the ground's not safe. What are you going to do? You got to think of your feet quickly. Um, and you have to do it with confidence because, again, uh, uncertainty is, you know, creates a certain amount of insecurity, which could create doubt in players. So you, you have to be clear about, um, you know, how you're going to move forward. And they have to have faith in you and the program and what you're doing. But when you, you make to be a decision, you have to you have to go you go for it like, yeah and you can't be rigid in your planning you, you have to be dynamic but what you've touched on there a couple of times is specialist skills but you can't be that rigid specialist you have to be somewhat of a generalist and know different things about different uh, topics i suppose or different subject areas so then have you yourself over time intentionally sought out experience to become a better generalist rather than going down the specialist route probably initially it wasn't intentional it was more like i mean uh you know how do you just how do you win you know because at, at the end of the day that's what it does come down to and there, you know there's so many uh you know people it's very easy um there's a coach dean benton an australian coach great friend for many years he used to say it's easier to be critical than correct. And, uh, you know, being correct is winning. And you can sit there and poke holes in programs or in, uh, you know, what you think or what you see other people doing. 
at the end of the day, if they're winning, they're doing something right. And I've, I've had this conversation with somebody over the weekend as well. There's a lot of coaches out there and you can look at what they're doing and criticize them. But if they're winning, they're winning. You, you, you can't argue with the result. It's gas that you've become a generalist and a specialist in one because your specialism is answering that one question. How did we win? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think at the end of the day, that's, you know, you search out, you know, you, you look at how other people are doing things and you realize there is no one perfect, perfect way. And so you, you know, you early on in, in anyone's career, like they're looking for a program, they're looking for, you know, a formula. Again, Charles Colvin used to say it years ago, people just want a formula. But in reality, what you really need are a set of principles. You know, you need guidelines. But not everybody wants that. You know, not most people just want a formula. They just want to know, okay, just tell me a bit what to do. So recognizing that in people is also important, you know. Like if you've got a group of players in front of you, some players, again, just tell me what to do. Other players are going to take a little bit more time. And the, and the most important thing is knowing which is which. Because you start explaining stuff to a guy who doesn't want to know it or a girl doesn't want to know it you're going to bore them to tears and the other person if you don't give them enough information they're not going to buy in they're not going to trust it's going to take longer so knowing who you're dealing with um becomes more critical as time goes on you're enabling people by giving them somewhat of a plan though i suppose by giving them the principles and then they can come to their own solution so you're you're allowing them scope for creativity i suppose which is something that you talk about quite a lot as well so yeah how then but 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 that doesn't work for everybody you know some players some players just want for example some players just want really simple guidelines other players want to know the why um you know so for example you know stephen cluxton would want to know the why and understand and that's one of the things that made him great there were other players like uh you know bernard brogan and you know in his case he just keep it simple for him not that he can't process lots of information but that's how his he you give him the guidelines and he'll figure it out himself you know and so it's there's so many different uh personalities and ways of thinking um and you know again some some great coaches just did it intuitively others like me you just takes longer to learn so across that spectrum then are there ever players that you encounter that are both they require a plan, but they also want the freedom to do as they please within it and achieve their own solution or, I don't know, express themselves on the pitch. Yeah, and um, I think, you know, there are some players who develop over time. You know, initially, for example, you might start with very, very basic guidelines. Like, I mean, just taking a team as a whole, um, you would start with, you know, very, very basic guidelines, just do this, this, and this, and let's stick to this, get this right. And you establish a certain amount of faith routine, and then you start to elaborate on on the why, you know, because again, you take over a team in the morning, you you can't start explaining everything to them. And you have to build layers on top of it, but some players will just check out at a certain level of layers of knowledge and the why, and knowing, you know, who needs it, like me, I, the other thing as well for a coach, just to keep in mind, a mistake I made many times was thinking that the player is like the coach. 
So for me, I would, I would have to understand something before I would even do it or certainly do it with somebody else. And so for me, I, I would go in and read and study. I, and I would go way back to first principles on something like I mean, that, to understand it. And then when I go talk to a player, I think they're, they're like me and I think they want to know. They don't, you know, they don't need to go back to that level. And I see it with some coaches and they're explaining in detail. And you just, you see the guys, the guy's eyes glazed over five minutes ago. And you just, as a reminder, there's a gap between what you know and what they need to know. Now, that doesn't mean that you lie or anything. It's just the level of detail you might need to go to is, is not the level that you might need to understand to implement it or that you're passionate about and so knowing that becomes, you know, uh, uh, a critical factor in keeping people engaged. I'm the exact same as that. I have to understand it. And I always have been that way. My favorite word when I was a child, my mother jokes was why. I was one yeah. of those kids. Why, why, why? And the same as a player, like I was always questioning and why are we doing this? What is this of benefit to us? How are we going to do this? What if this scenario presents itself? So I'd be interested to ask you, were you like that as a player? Were you always questioning the coach? Because I call myself a coach's nightmare when I was playing. Um, well, actually, I got in trouble actually at school. I remember being sent home from school one time because uh, I'd done something wrong. And the answer to my teacher was just because like I would keep asking why, why, why. And the answer I would get, you know, eventually was just, just because, you know, yeah. just you know we're doing it like this just and so I was very small in primary school and, you know my answer to the teacher was like why'd you do that just you know and that you know so yeah for me it was questioning being curious um and again some some players want to know um need to know it makes them feel comfortable with security and and it's beautiful as well because um some of those players when they truly understand it you see them take it to a new level. You know, uh, I remember one time doing video review and I, you know, called out, yeah, I can you call out Paul Flynn, you know, for something like, I mean, you know, I think you should have done this. And he, he went, no, no, I shouldn't because I didn't go to him because of this, this and this that was happening. And he was right. You know, he, he was right, but like he was taking it to to another layer, another level of understanding and appreciation for things that, that I didn't see in the field or didn't encounter. So when you start to see that, then you start to see, OK, this is this is game intelligence, you know, at a, at a different level. And that's that that's beautiful when you see great players, you know, take like I said, take game, take game knowledge, game plan principles to another level. Do you think that's a key quality then? for a coach in being good at enabling that creativity to happen and enabling that player leadership in that you respected his opinion there and you took it on board and you learned something from it rather than we both know that some coaches might know I'm the coach, you're the athlete, I'm right and you're wrong. Possibly, but in that case, you're dealing, you're dealing with um, very intelligent players who like, you I mean, and you could, at, at the end of the, at the end of the day, you can, you can bullshit all you want, but it does come down to results. I mean, what have you done? You know, and uh, uh, you know, sure, you can put your ego in the way, but you're not going to win. You know, coach is not going to win. And uh, yeah, like you know, uh, no, you just if you want to win, you just cut 
you've got to cut cut out bullshit. Like, I mean, you know, it's black and white. I can't make it any simpler than that. I can't dress it up any any other way. You know, you you either win or you don't. Um, yeah, sure, you can. Your ego can be more important, but but players see players see that over time, and it becomes distrustful. You know, um, uh, players don't trust you as much because your ego is getting in the way. Um, your sense of importance is more important than, than than winning or doing something right. Whereas if coaches who genuinely put winning first, yeah, they're going to get better buy-in, longer buy-in, and they recognize in you, you're also only interested in one thing. And that thing is, you know, if players players are here and coaches are here, that thing is in the middle. It doesn't, it's not owned by a player. It's not owned by the coach. It's in the middle. It's us together are, are going to win. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just facts, briefly. It's brutal, yeah, and you've touched on that brutality a couple of times now, uh, and that being very important and an integral part of a successful team is honesty and openness. Mm-hmm. But with that brutality, I can imagine that sometimes you might go too far the other end and it can be a little bit too critical. Have you ever seen that happen? Or, well, maybe yeah, it might not become too critical as long as it remains constructive. No, it's actually... Um... Railsford, uh, British Cycling used to use the term compassionately ruthless. Um, no, when you get to that s- state of, of you know, being brutally honest, there's incredible comfort, security, trust, love, essentially, um, because you know where that person stands, you know what they care about, and you know what's important to them. And so, no, there's incredible security and trust when you get to that stage. It, it never... Like, I mean, in, initially, perhaps, if you're sensitive or insecure, yes, it'll, it'll, you know, you might, you might find it uncomfortable. But when you close the doors and you, you have that, um, you know, brutal honesty, it's beautiful. It's truly beautiful because you know where everybody stands and you know what they care about. And you know that they're not telling you something to be hurtful. They're telling you something that's going to help everybody get better and improve and, um, I think that's one of the things that, that people want. They want, you know, that sense of security that we all look for in every aspect of life. It can only come about if you're going to be honest and truthful with people. So when you get over the initial discomfort, maybe your ego, man, it's a safe environment, you know, and you can say things to, to anybody, you know, and, uh, and you end up winning. You end up getting to you end up getting to the solution. You identify the problem faster. You get to the solution faster, and it's better for everybody. You know, and there's a way to do it without being without being an asshole. You know, yeah, It's not that it's not that you're uh, rude for the sake of it at all. Like, and um, I completely and, get you. Completely. Yeah, and and people people trust you. Then they'll come to you with problems because they know that you're going to tell them the truth. But the, the three words there now, I was going to say two that you've used, understanding, knowing, and then trust. So is knowing and understanding the athlete and them understanding and knowing that you have their best interests at heart, what then in turn enables the athlete to trust you 
And then is that how you avoid the conflict that may be associated with having big egos in the room and how you keep everybody in the room content? Yeah, and I think, you know, look, everybody everybody has, you know, everybody has an ego. Um, but I think when you've got that clarity around why, you know, everybody's in that room, whether it's a, you know, a business or a sports team, it doesn't really matter. But when you've got that clarity and that, you know, clear vision and goal, and this is what we're going to achieve together around this objective, then you can move forward. Now, that's not to say that people don't have other struggles and other, other things around that, but you can support those things. Um, and when you have that understanding, you know, that knowledge and that understanding, then you, you can build that, that trust. And it takes time. You know, it does take time. The other thing that uh, sometimes people forget is that they think, oh, well, you know, this is a sometime thing. You know, I can do it with certain people. You know, you have to do it with everybody. You can't, you can't fake it. You can't just do it with important players or market. You know, you have to do it with everybody because players aren't stupid. They see how you treat everybody, you know, and in the back of their mind, they're going, no matter who they are, they'll look and see how you've treated somebody else, whether consciously or unconsciously, that'll sit in their head. So if you treat somebody poorly, disrespect them, you know, if they're part of the team, or even if they're not, People pick up on that, you know, and it again, it might be just a subconscious thing. So how you treat everybody, you have to be um, fair. You might not be it might not be equal, but it's going to be fair. You know, is that clarity that you're speaking about the clarity of purpose on both a team and an individual level that you're talking about quite often? Yes, Um yeah, you want to tie both to, together, um, and you want to find that those common those common values. And often you want to sometimes find a purpose that's greater than oneself. So, you know, it may be a case that you're, you know, in, in for example, in Dublin's case, you're representing more than just yourself. You're representing more than your club. You're representing more than just Dublin football, but Dublin people and what it means to be. And so when you've got a purpose that's greater than oneself, people are prepared to sacrifice a little bit more. So long as they recognize that you're genuine about it, you know, and that becomes, again, a very, very powerful thing. You see that in truly elite teams. It's not about it genuinely is not about them. It's rare, though. It's very, very rare. Um, I've only seen it maybe in three, only been in three and four, three or four environments where that is the case you know i would imagine like that is the pinnacle that's what you want to get to yes yeah but i would imagine there are like and that's the holy grail but it's not that simple i would say that there's probably a lot of challenges that are presented to you in helping a group to identify their purpose i suppose and identify their values or has it always been plain sailing for you which i imagine it hasn't no 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 um like, I mean, a place like Monster Rugby, um, it, it was, you know, it was established, it was there. Some of the military units, it's there, it's reinforced. Um, Dublin was a little bit different, I guess, because maybe, you know, not that they didn't have it, but it was, it was developed over time. So that was one where you see it implemented and developed over time. 
And so it, it takes time for that to, to evolve. And again, it cannot be lip service. It cannot be superficial. It has to be sincere and genuine. But you see it in other teams where you recognize that it's more about, you can recognize you know, teams where it's a little bit more superficial. But again, that's the difference between a team that will truly dominate, like, I mean, over a long period of time. And you, you don't want to be on the field with that, with a team like that, because that's scary. Like, I mean, that's, they're going to be in your face. But it's a learning opportunity, game. isn't it, Fergus? It's, it's a learning opportunity. And if you're on that team, brilliant. But if you're against it, um, yeah, it's going to be a long day for you. It's going to be a very long day. And you know that even if you beat them, you're going to see them next year. You know what I mean? Um, but when that happens, um, that's, you do, that, that's where you want to be. Like you said, that is the pinnacle. That's the goal. But in order to get to that deeper level, I would imagine you have to ask some very tough questions. Has there ever been a time where you've yeah. met you those questions have been met with a little bit of resistance from the players and how then do you go about breaking through that barrier and getting to the root of it well there's a lot of teams that uh, organizations where um yeah where that's never going to work or it's not going to work with the, the people in place in those cases that's where other factors are more important most often money you know being asked or fame or greed or ego yeah um in organizations like that but again, it's just that's just dishonesty. Like I mean, again, if it is about making money or whatever, which plenty of companies have, well, then once it's out in the open, that's what we're going to work towards. Okay, that's fine. We, that's but again, that's the difference between honesty and, and dishonesty. When you're speaking about helping teams to achieve their goals and high performance, it's clear that you speak about it with a lot of passion, and passion only comes with a. A purpose so would you say that you found a real purpose in your work yourself now and then do you think that is what helps you and that authenticity is what helps you to help other people to then find their purpose yeah i, I think i think early on i think everybody has you know a, a passion or a purpose um you know you can go on a journey it takes you a while to maybe come back to it at times perhaps but yeah for, for me um you know i love helping good people do great things you know um tomorrow i'll, I'll work with fortune i think it's fortune 100 or 500 company you know with their executives um and i love nothing more than working with them and helping them you know because they are committed and passionate towards their goal and, and to what they're doing and so it is, it's about helping good people do great things and helping facilitate their learning. Um, it's not about, it's not about me. You know, I get, my reward is when I get an email from them later on in the week or something, you know, this went well or uh, performance review or whatever it might be. Th that's rewarding for me. Um, but that's me personally, you know, it, um, for other people, it's figuring out and it's, it takes a bit of reflection as well, you know, what actually makes you happy as opposed to but but other people you know other people might clap you on the back and say oh that must have been great that must have been but you know it's for you like what truly gives you energy you know makes you, what do you get excited about or what do you miss when it doesn't happen you know and those things like you I mean that's that's when you start to recognize and you start to realize yes that's really what i'm both passionate and purposeful about
and with passion and purpose or I suppose the two of those are precursors for developing and knowing your own identity as a person and you've spoke a lot about yourself there and how you don't like to take credit for that kind of stuff like that's not your reward your reward is when they say thank you I suppose so has identifying that purpose and passion for you helped you to establish a clear identity for yourself? Yeah, yeah. I think um, the things that the things that I have found most rewarding, uh, most people you know wouldn't know about or whatever. Like, I mean, you might get an email of that or a text from somebody sometimes out of the blue, and uh, you know. And if I were to write them down, most people wouldn't recognize them or know them. But those are you know those are the moments where that you remember um and that mean the most whereas you know you, you've yeah you've got your identity you've got your image your image is external that's what others might see and think and uh you know often it's just nonsense you know but i, I but it's it's great when you when you see it in others as well where they start to recognize and and become happier and more content in themselves as well and more peaceful and that's yeah again that's that's that, that's really beautiful when you start to see it you know and everything that you touched on there it was all interactions with people so has a lot of the value in your work come from developing those connections with people and that's what really stands to you and that's what gives you value in your own life yeah i think that um i think over time i think you know as as people we we get reward from you know from helping others or or giving to to others um, and you could argue that it's selfish because, you know, internally you get, you get a sense of reward, but you know, it's, it's a, anybody who's just looking after themselves, that's a lonely journey. You know, if they're, if they're greedy or they're just concerned, uh, with their own ego or what they can get, yeah, you know, you'll meet those people. That's, it's a lonely life. I've struggled with that myself as well, because obviously being in similar industry, like we are in the industry of helping people, but at the same time, you have to kind of help yourself in order to help other people. And then sometimes you question yourself, am I helping these people to help these people or am I helping these people to help myself? But I think that's a very natural thing for a coach to think about, I suppose. And I think probably it's something that you have to think about. And it's something that when you're in a role, you have to question, why am I in this role? Do I care about this group winning? Do I care about this person winning? Is this the right reason? Am I in here for the right reasons? And if you're not in there for the right reasons, then you're probably better spent leaving it, vacating that role and letting somebody else take over that does genuinely care and connect with the group. Yeah, or then... Are, are they there for the right reasons you know yeah um and you know again there are times when you you do you have to walk away from a group because you know that uh, it's it's a, you're just not a right a right fit and you know i would do that and there's even one currently you know i mean group i'm talking to and yeah, if it's not a right fit I'm, I'm not gonna do it you know it's just um and we'll have that conversation and, and say and if it if it is a right fit and and again you know the conversation with the head coach was look you know sure i'll come sit down talk with you and your staff and i would i'll be the first to tell you whether or not it's going to work out or not you know it's not a case of yeah absolutely you know um you might want me but 
yeah, I, I, I'll be the first to tell you whether it's going to work out or not. But again, that's that comes back to <laughs> that comes back to being honest with yourself as well, you know. But that often occurs, I would imagine, due to a misalignment of values between yourself mm-hmm. and the organization. And in order to be able to make those decisions, as you just said, you have to know yourself and know your values. So only by knowing your values can you then look to help other people to identify their values. So that's that's a strange one, though, isn't it? Because you can't know that for sure before you've had a certain number of interactions with a group or an organization. True. And sometimes you can judge people, you know, without knowing them. So again, um, getting to know people, that's why, for example, with, you know, with groups or individuals, you know, executives that work with, the first thing is always just three months initially, you know, and at the end of that, um, you know, you'll, you'll review it and go, listen, this is going to work. This isn't, but you get better at, at recognizing it. The other thing too, is that, you know, so long as you know where people stand, you can work with them. Uh, there's a great quote by Malcolm X. I'm not going to, I'll send it to you later, but because uh, I'll butcher it, but it's essentially, you know, recognizing, you know, somebody who you completely disagree with or somebody who's wrong and being able to have more respect for them if they're genuine and authentic about it and about their positioning. Well, you can work with them because you know where they stand. Now, your values may not align, so it may not be long term, but you can work with that person. You can have respect for them because they're clear and they know where they stand. They know what they want. Well, you can work with them, but it's somebody who is perhaps either dishonest or not clear. That's that can be very difficult. You know, I would imagine that the brutal honesty is very useful then when you're working with groups for three months in that at the end of that, you may, in fact, have to say to them look you actually don't need me or as you said look i actually am not a good fit for this role does that occur very often no 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 it doesn't usually what happens (laughs) usually what happens is after the after you know short period hey can we extend this for a year we want to tie this in um but again that's you know you you generally you know it comes down to how how good you know, you are, are you making a difference? And also figuring out over time as well, John McCluskey actually was one of the, he was one of the best um, GA coaches. He worked with Armagh way back. Um, I remember him saying to me a long time ago, he said, you know, never worry about publicity. People, you know, what, if you do a good job, people will always, you know, either uh, recommend you. But what he was also saying was that you, you will revolve around the same kind of people like you'll end up meeting the same kind of people over time and so you you end up you know either spending time with being introduced with people who want to introduce you to people who are like you and who they know just intuitively that you're going to work well with so as long as you're doing a good job and you're doing it the best way that you know you'll end up meeting more of those kind of people because that's the circle that you revolve around has that made the delivery of your message and the language that you use a little bit easier or have you still had to alter it based on the group quite a lot not really I, I think early on in everyone's career you know they're searching for the best language that suits them their role you know their, their purpose and figuring out who they are and I think then over time I think you become you know you know who you are you know what you're good at um, and people start to recognize that so again you end up revolving in those circles you end up 
meeting people who are similar to you and people who share, again, share your purpose, your values. But you also become better at recognizing who you don't want to work with, you know. Um, and there are coaches, well-known coaches, we won't mention names, like you've been approached by, you know, other guys, I want you to come and work with me. No, thanks, but no thanks. It's just not going to work out. Or, And again, that takes discipline. But you see that more in more experienced coaches because they recognize, sure, it might be glamorous or it might look good and they might need the help. But it's not going to, it's not, they're not either doing it for the right reasons or they're not, um, it's just not going to work out in the long run. Does knowing who you will work well with and who you want to work with, does that help you to more effectively leave a legacy behind you? And I would be more, I'd be interested to ask you, is legacy an important thing to you? No, no, legacy is not actually. It's not important to me at all. I think, um, I think, I think sometimes the word legacy is is overused in that people are more concerned about you know what's going to happen after and when they're gone. Um, no, I'm more concerned with uh, this podcast, having this conversation, what I'm going to do later. You know what I mean? The the call I've got later, the the work I'm going to do, the legacy will take care of itself. You know. I think sometimes as well, you know, people are more concerned with uh, the image or the perception perhaps rather than your legacy is going to be determined by what you do in the next 12, 24 hours. You know, you can, you, that, if you're driven by that, legacy will, will, take care of its, will take care of itself. I think, I think where legacy is important is what you inherit, you know, and the, the reputation, um, the the legacy of others that you inherit and living up to that so i think you know using dublin as an example you know there were many great not just dublin players but dublin people that you know that those players were uh representing and had inherited and so that be, that's important and it also serves a very important reminder that you're only a temporary holder of of this short of this position of a role on this team so that's where it's important if you're worried about your own legacy too much uh you're not going to do anything of substance that's, that's just my opinion i may have phrased that incorrectly then because by the sounds of that legacy is important to you but it's not your personal legacy it's the legacy of the groups that you work with and that's probably why you're quite good at your job um uh, well, uh, uh, that's for that's quite good. For, might be an understatement as well. That, that, no, that, that's for, that, no, 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 no. That's for others to. That's for others to determine. I think um, you know, if you take your eye off the ball, um, which you know we we all have done from time to time, um, that can be that can be misguided. You know, and um, you know I, I've had to catch myself before where you know a player comes to you who's not making the team or. Um, has just started with the team and you're going, well, they're not the most important person and, I, and you're not giving them your full focus. And you have to remember that, no, everybody that you work with is, is important and you have to make that difference, you know? And so sometimes you can get distracted worrying about a marquee player or somebody who's more important, but no, it, everything, everything matters. And so that, yeah, just... Back to what you said earlier, keep the main thing, the main thing, the, the gator closest to the boat, focus on it, do the best that you can. Uh, when you get some time in the evening or, you know, to reflect, 
that's when you can reflect on you know the bigger picture but you you have to do you know a good job every single day that's how you build the legacy and like there's parallels between what you've just said in taking it day by day and i would imagine with writing a book because you have to take it page by page and that's something that you have a lot of experience with and in a way your written works will be somewhat of a legacy for you as well so my question would be are you working on anything currently and I know that you're not focused on the legacy you're focused on solving a problem and a particular problem with it with with each work so is there any problems that you identify now? You may not be working on something currently, but anything in your head that you're thinking, you know, there's something there. I might try and solve that in the future with another piece. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I've um, three different projects at least going on. Now I, I probably won't turn them into books. I'll probably turn them into more uh, courses. So I, I took all of, all of my, sports work put that into one team sport masterclass the other things that that i'm currently working on are uh one of them is around you know what i call amplifier skills skills that regardless as you're to your area whether it's in military business or sport these are key skills that you need to develop another is around um you know performance psychology or understanding mindset there's another one around around lifestyle but whether or not they'll end up being a written book or not uh i'm not so sure the the interactive the video the courses leave it easier to update and add and then respond quicker to to questions um but you're right like the um a book or written book can be somewhat of a legacy for me though um I, i i use them to clarify a lot of my thinking because for me to be able to coach someone or to coach a coach um i have to be able to explain it and i learn an awful lot in that process um i wrote four books with cam joss uh started a few years ago and i got more from that interaction um possibly than than anything because of you know uh explaining topics or 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 you know him saying, no, this is wrong and saying, well, no, this is how I look at it. And those kind of things um, become, become more important, you know? And so that there's a huge learning process in it. So yeah, it might seem altruistic or it might seem as though, you know, it, you're doing it for someone else, but, but I get a lot from it because in order, again, like I said, explain something, you have to be able to clarify it in a, in a really important way. And for coaches, your communication skill, how you, communicate that's very very important obviously is that a way you like to work you like to just compile a lot of information together and make it like digestible i suppose so that you can understand it and then whatever it turns into it turns into well if i if i can't understand it i've got no hope of either implementing it or then even educating somebody else on it um as well as that you know for, for me you know, working, so if you take sport, working in team sport, um, there's not many people, you know, it's a small, small enough community. So being able to, you know, I have to understand it, apply it, implement it, figure out how it works. And so that journey that that knowledge or information goes on, that can be helpful to somebody else. You know, what, 
worked, what didn't work, mistakes I made. And, you know, most of what you do is a mistake, you know. A lot of what you do is a, is, is a mistake, is an error, you know. Or you could do it better. Like even the books, you know, there's things I look at in Game Changer. Oh, man, that that's phrased a little bit. Now, on reflection, I should have phrased that a little bit differently. Um, you know, those kind of things you look at and go, or it's evolved. My thinking has evolved in this. This is There's another layer to this. But that word, actually, I should have used intuition rather than instinct. A lot of people that will go and look you up after this and look for your presentations now that we've spoken about this will probably go to the most accessible of them, which is your TED Talk. And I'd be interested to ask you, like you could have presented so much information as we've just gone through there, like on team sports, on athletic performance, performance psychology, etc. But was that what happened? You just sat down and said, right, what am I going to present on? Got the information, put it down on paper and said, do you know what? This is what I'm going to present on. This is going to be the most powerful message that I can deliver. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, people might look at you and go okay you've done this this and this and everything's perfect well no there's lots of screw-ups and this is this is a mistake and this is a lesson i learned from it a lesson that um you know i hadn't learned at that time i think it was is an important lesson for people certainly in sport but in in life that yeah you you know you you were going to need to lean on people and i was fortunate as well it was also a way of um you know, even in Game Changer and in 59, it was a way of saying thank you, you know, as well to people who, you know, are there for you uh, when when you need it. And, and also a reminder to be there for others, you know, to, to look out for others. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, I think there are times when uh, people can look at things from the outside and go, well, everything's perfect. It's a clear run. Heck no, I've had so many setbacks, uh, screw-ups, failures, mistakes. Um, but the important thing always is to, you know, to learn how to, to recover from them. And uh, I'll never forget, I, it was a, a, a sniper instructor, Navy SEAL sniper instructor, telling me about, you know, creating um, tasks that were impossible, that guys were not going to be able to complete, to teach failure, to teach how to manage failure, how to overcome failure. I think it's very, very important for young people today that they have, that they do fail, you know, and that they learn how to overcome it. That doesn't mean that you make life incredibly difficult, but those people who struggle, who learn to overcome, who do overcome and who make, learn how to learn, that's the most important skill for young people. So making things too easy for young people can be, can be a disadvantage. And you're quite interested in learning about people. I would suppose like because that's what you talk oh, yeah. about we're in a people business so I thought it may be a useful exercise and maybe it might be quite difficult exercise but we'll have a go at it anyway if I could ask you what was the most valuable lesson that you learned about people from potentially a group that you've worked with and that may be from a mistake that you've made that you can share with us as well so the first group that I wanted to ask about was Bolton Wanderers. Very intrusive, uh, very intrusive style of example, but we'll, we'll give it a go oh, anyway. Yeah, I, I learned so much at Bolton. Um, yeah, and that was like, uh, that, that, that's a while ago now. And so, 
yeah, there's so many different personalities. Like Sam Allardyce, who just left. Um, little Sam was there. Uh, Sammy Lee. Um, we had, you know, the late Gary Speed. You know, just great guys. Like, I mean, one of the most amazing people. Uh, for example, Gary treated... Actually, the, the only guy similar to him would have been Colin Kaepernick. Treated everybody the exact same. Like, genuine, lovely guy. Learned a lot. Like, I mean, it was no surprise that he had such a long career. Like, longevity mattered. I think even at that time, he had still had the record for the most Premier League appearances. Uh, Joey O'Brien, Dublin player. I learned so much from Joey. We would go for dinner uh, every now and then. Maybe once, once a week we'd go. Like, I mean... Yeah, I would learn so much from Joey about hard work and, you know, his pride that he had, not just in being Irish, but being from Dublin. El Hadjajouf was there at the time. We had UC, UC Yaskalainen. Um, yeah, there were, there were a, a lot of lessons around uh, people, different backgrounds. And that was actually what was unique about Bolton at the time was, like I've just listed people from so many different backgrounds, Kevin O'Brien. I mean, people from so many different nationalities. It was like a melting pot. Phil Richards was a strength coach, great guy, um, and uh, yeah, he he was he was so good to me. Amir Khan trained there for a while as well. Another personality. So the lessons, man, there were just so many. It was it was like a school day every single day, and it was a great introduction, I suppose, for what you'd go on to do afterwards. And the next group, I suppose, that I wanted to ask you about was working with the Welsh Rugby Union and what you took from that experience. Yeah, so the biggest difference there was you're dealing with a national team. So they all had clubs to go back to, just like Dublin. So again, it was a great introduction there. Um, and then you had like, you know, you had a national identity, which you weren't part of, but you, you well, you sorry, you were part of, but it wasn't yours. Um so many great personalities, like Warren Gatlin as a coach, very unique, different style, great leader, um, uh, more reserved coach. So he, he very much empowered his coaches, a great supporter as well, a great um, empower, learned a lot from him about not micromanaging, empowering you and trusting you to do work. Um, he was, yeah, so again, so many personalities, um, like you players like Shane Williams, Martin, Martin Williams at the time as well, who was a legend even in Wales at the time. Um, Sam Orbit and Ryan Jones. Yeah, just so many great players. George North. And so Lee Halfpenny. So you're dealing with players, some of them, you know, more experienced veterans. Then you had younger players coming in. The academy system in Wales, you know, was very good. So you had players coming in that were very well prepared. <clears throat> and so that was different you know, again, so all of those things to, yeah, to learn. And I think, I think the most important thing for, for a young coach, well, so many important things, I've probably said that too often now, but is recognizing that there's so many opportunities to learn. Like so many coaches are in environments and they don't realize, like, it's a goldmine for you to learn from, you know? So the next one is a little closer to home for me. And it's, what did you learn from, working with that wonderful group that was in Munster Rugby at the time that you were there? Oh, well, um, yeah, like, I mean, O'Gara, O'Callaghan, uh, Paul O'Connell, uh, Stringer, 
people like that, just great coaches. Tony McGann was the, the head coach as well. Uh, Axel Foley, God rest him. Uh, last time I saw Axel was in San Francisco. He reached out to me when he was over. And uh, yeah, like uh, that, you know, just, yeah, really great people. Very authentic, very honest, um, uh, you know, brutally honest. And I think, you know, Oh, Paul O'Connell, Roman Gara, like Donico Callan, great people. Particularly when you sit down one on one with them and their ability to, like, to be brutally honest about what they were trying to do, uh, struggles they had, and again, just just wanting to to win, and very, yeah, very very honest about their performance and wanting to get better. And it was great. It was great for me because it was. Like you're again, they were already legends, but recognizing, yeah, this is what greatness takes, you know, and that that was again a, a, another great great experience for me. That was the first Irish team or Irish people that I'd ever worked with. And I would imagine learning about what greatness takes and that desire to win was very useful when you went to work with Dublin. Then after that. Yeah, Munster was Munster was good for me because not and that's not to say that Bolton or Wales didn't want to win, but um, the Ronan Guard do anything to win. Like you mean, I was I was at home, you know, there. Like that was that's where I wanted to be. Like you mean, whatever it took, and no, no nonsense. I remember, like you I mean, yeah, I remember him saying to me one time, congratulated on some kick or something, you know, late in the game, winning game, and he just said to me. Postman doesn't get medals for delivering letters and he just walked off. Like, I mean, that's just um, that, again, brutal, brutal honesty. Dublin was great. Um, uh, the backroom team were outstanding. Uh, never worked with a group quite like them. The players, yes, obviously great players, but, you know, Jim, outstanding manager and coach. Uh, very, very humble, very knowledgeable, very, very bright, great people person. I think... You know, in, in years to come, I don't know if people would truly give him the credit. Like, you know, it's it's difficult to win All Ireland, to win repeatedly. Uh, that's that's just a, it's on such a different level. It it's it takes a completely different style of management and coaching that is it's as rare as hen's teeth. You'll never see it again. Like, I mean, not a hope in hell. It'll take generations for, for anything close anything close to that to come again. But that's it as well. You don't appreciate people during it and you don't appreciate how difficult it is to do until they're gone, I suppose. And it's only now that they may go into a period where they won't be winning as frequently that he may get the credit that you're just speaking about right there. Yeah, I was, like, I was very aware at the time even before we started, that's what the goal was. Um, and so I was very conscious that at the time, and maybe that was just experience, but I, I was very conscious of how special this was. Like, I mean, um, because, you know, you'd seen bits of it, you knew what it took, but to see it in action be there, I was grateful that, you know, I was older. If I'd been, you know, in my twenties there, I probably wouldn't have, but yeah, you're in your thirties, you're doing something that's, and you're there, you're going, this is, yeah, this is something special and fortunate to be part of it.
and I'm going to skip over a couple of organizations that you worked with sure. because I think there's one organization that you were working with that you probably have the most powerful message for young coaches and that is when you were working with the University of Michigan so you've spoken about how you've learned things that you can use to help other people but what did you learn there that helped you to help yourself well I think there were I think um you know 49ers or um Michigan, the, the cultural changes are, are different. I think that's one of the biggest things. I think making sure that, you know, that you keep a, a balance in, in life and taking time. But actually, the most important lesson that I learned as a coach was uh, at the University of Michigan, actually, years before, it was a, a guy called Carlo Gianfranco was his name. And... Uh, was doing my PhD at the time and he came into the building uh, that I was staying at during the summer. There was nobody around and he was staying for a few days. I didn't know who he was. And I just knew that this guy was going to be staying in the same area for a few days. And, uh, you know, I didn't pass, you know, much regards on it. And he was in and out, we didn't get talking. But one evening I happened to be in the communal area I was watching TV and he came in and sat down and started talking. He was an English guy, English accent, big, tall guy, really nice guy. And, you know, he was only going to be there for a while. I was busy. I had a lot on my plate. And it was late in the evening. And he's joined me to, you know, can I join you and watch TV? So we were watching TV for a bit. And, you know, what are you doing here? And I was doing a PhD at the time. What are you doing? I'm the dance. I'm, you know, I'm here to do some work with, was the Michal Sullivan School, a dance school, a music school. I have no interest in dance, no interest in music. You know, like, I mean, whatever. Not going to help, not going to have my PhD time, nothing to do with sport. I'm going, like, I didn't leave. I don't think, I didn't leave that room until maybe two or three in the morning. I got talking to him. Uh, he started to tell me about his career in ballet, working as an understudy for Nuriev working in Hollywood. And it was an eye, it was an eye opener for me because yeah, I'd almost dismissed this conversation or this person more shame to me. But as I got talking to him, there was so much to learn from me. He was so kind with his time. And that was, that was a humbling moment for me because on reflection, uh, I was, if not almost rude to him and, and, you know, this, I, I was getting up to leave and hours, hours later, I'm there taking notes from him about performance. And so that I think is the most important thing for young coaches. Like, you, you know, it taught me a lot subsequently about even going to a restaurant, about what I can learn from. The Somalia here in, uh, uh, where I live in, in just outside LA. And uh, it was, the place was set up for me by a friend um, but again, just questioning him on how does how does he approach people at the table? How does he judge what wine to recommend? How does he know, like, not about the wine necessarily, but the personality? How does he judge what questions he asks? And all of that is is related to coaching, like how you communicate with people, how you interact. So that, to me, for coaches, a lot of coaches go, oh, they're not coaching at this level, I can't learn. No, you can learn from anybody if you want to. That's what that's what young coaches should should keep in mind. 
that's an unbelievable insight and i'm happy now to move on to our quick fire questions before we finish so the first one is your proudest achievement to date oh um i've one or two relationships i think or text messages from people that um you know, mean a lot to me there's a few guys who um in in the military have done just exceptional things who i'm very grateful for to have friendship with um and those things are probably the things that i'm most most grateful for those relationships which again to the outside person probably doesn't you know wouldn't mean anything necessarily but those relationships and yeah that, that's probably the thing that i'm most grateful if you can say proud proud of it's not a it's not a sporting thing it's not a team thing or anything like that we've had it before as well with a couple of coaches and it's a it's a i think it's a good thing to be proud of as well um because it's a it's a very real thing to be proud of so the next question then is a little bit less deep but something that you'll definitely still be passionate about is your favorite athlete of all time Uh, there's there isn't really one you know uh, great the the greatest athlete you mean of uh, in my opinion of all time. Your favorite is, is, doesn't it, have to be the my, best. My favorite, my favorite is is probably it probably ha- it has to be Brady. It has to be Tom Brady. Yeah, like I mean, uh, I've never coached him, never worked with him. Uh, been fortunate to meet him a few times, but uh, yeah, like I mean, just the ability again, just like Jim Gavin, the ability to repeatedly win that that's special. Winning once is. Is possible anybody can do that but repeatedly you know that's a different level yeah and he's the best at it as well like and hopefully it comes to fruition for him again this year it'd be very interesting and it to happen and it would be a great way to finish a career if he does indeed finish which he may or may not um correct yeah next question is one that i'm interested definitely to know your your perspective or, or see who you pick but what's your favorite or who is your favorite obscure footballer or obscure footballing moment of all time oh um matthias sammer german soccer player he played in the libero role which was doesn't really exist um but similar to to franco brizzi uh he had quite a short career with germany but um, would play deep and would just come running through the middle repeatedly. Um, an incredible player. That's probably the most obscure. After that, maybe Maldini, Paolo Maldini. Not really as obscure, but yeah. Two great players in their own right, though. And that oh, Libera yeah. role is so interesting because, as you said, it doesn't really exist as such anymore, but it was a position for really a total footballer in a way, I suppose, somebody that would be comfortable playing in any position. Yeah, I had to be supremely fit. I think, uh, I think probably the, the, I think Roy Keane during his peak years was, yeah, played that role. And again, there's another phenomenal athlete um, who played for a long time, much longer than Samer, of course. But yeah, um, that role is, is a difficult role to play because you have to be able to both, you know, tackle, play with others and, and, and score as well. Are there any players that you see in the modern day that you think could play in that role, to go off topic a little bit? Oh, um, 
I don't I don't get the opportunity to I actually don't make a lot of time to just sit and watch sport like I mean I will from time to time um, but you know I, I haven't watched a GA match since uh, last match I, I probably watched was um, the Dublin uh, the last Dublin game that Jim coached the actually the, the replay I reviewed that um, that was that was one of the last ones soccer i haven't watched that many soccer games recently uh i went to my first nfl game as a as a fan actually probably the first game i've been to in a long time last year i went to watch the cardinals against the panthers in arizona and that that was a shock because i hadn't been to a game as a fan you know for a long time so i don't get to watch sport you know and and to enjoy it you know and 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 i i'm there watching you know you mean I'm watching body movement, angle position. <laughs> That's what I'm watching. Like, I mean, you know, uh, so it's just, a, yeah. So I try and, yeah, for me, Switch that, off. I, I, I don't mind doing it. Yeah. Watching other things other than sport. Absolutely. So then in that unwinding, what is the biggest thing that you've learned in the last 12 months? Oh, so much. Um, so much uh like at the minute i am working my way through a book on uh grieving and bereavement um like i mean that's again like there's so many different things that i'm so i got a bundle of books back here that uh working through working through another one on plato believe it or not and aristotle uh, socrates um so yeah so there's there's so many topics that uh that that have work through there's so many different things that that i've learned and and again they come about through uh, problems that uh, that i'm working with 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 groups and how to again simplify it and put it into uh, practical protocols for for people to to use you know and be able to explain it in a simple way that they can apply so yeah there's so many different things i'd have to think about one particular thing well, I'm afraid I'm going to ask you about one particular thing now because I'm going to ask you of all those things that you've learned, what is the one thing that you would tell your 18-year-old self? Oh. Um, so people, yeah, people say, oh, is there something you would change or something? I, I, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a single thing. Um, I think that, you know, you know, you, you go through life and you, you can choose to, I, I don't have regrets, you know, at all. Um, sure. There are things I would rather not have done, but at the end of the day, you do them, you do them with, you know, your best interest, your best, uh, you know, best meaning. Um, but so long as you learn from them, I think that's the, the most important thing. So uh, now I, my 18 year old self, uh, I don't know, maybe just skill is important. Skill is more important than fitness. If I had to, yeah, that's what that's what I would tell them. Yeah. Okay. Great stuff, Fergus. Thanks a million for coming on. That was oh, thank you unbelievable. Del- delighted think, to be asked. Thank you. Appreciate it. And it just we just flowed straight through it. So again, thanks a million. And I'm sure loads of people will take loads of learnings from that, which is why we're here at the end of the day. So have a good day and I'll be talking to you soon, I'm sure. Thank you.